0: Turning your Bibles to the book of Mark. Uh, this is where we're going to start from. We're, uh, in the, we started a series a couple weeks ago uh, that we're calling <clears throat> the wilderness as we walk through this season of Lent and leaning up into Easter. And, uh, and so, so we're going to continue in this. So we're going to start in Mark. That's basically where we're going to launch from. If you want to see where we're going to really camp out and be today, you can turn to Second Corinthians chapter four and kind of hold your finger there. We'll be there shortly. Um, but Mark chapter one, starting in verse twelve. Just I know we talked about this last week, but wanted to point a new thing out from this passage. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, him being Jesus. And so we see that Jesus uh, was driven out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so... What I wanted to point out from this passage this morning is that in these 40 days of Lent, we remember that Jesus' time of testing in the wilderness and that, and that, and that our own times of wilderness testing. See, each of our experiences, each wilderness experience comes, that comes our way presents us with difficulties and struggles. If you look there at verse 13, it says, And he was with the wild animals. How many of you know that each wilderness has some beasts that we've got to overcome. Fear crouches in the brush nearby, ready to pounce and strangle us. Temptation slithers around, waiting for an opportunity to strike. Despair circles overhead, waiting to land and devour. Wilderness times have their wild beast. There are times of challenge. And our faith and our values, our trust in God, what we believe are all tested in the wilderness. Amen? They're tested in the wilderness. And so now if you flip over to 2 Corinthians 4, we know that Paul had a lot of experience in the wilderness. Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament in and out of prison for the sake of the gospel, he had his times of wilderness, his own times of wilderness. And so I want to read a little bit and talk a little bit, read a little bit and talk a little bit from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is where we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning, talking about the challenges, talking about the beast's of the wilderness. Because in every wilderness, there are beasts. In every wilderness, there are challenges. So Paul starts in Second Corinthians 4. He says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Now, a couple of things, real quick, that, that Paul is bringing here in verse 1 of Second of Corinthians 4. The first thing he says, is, is, is having this ministry by the mercy of God. And, and that's literally translated, since we have this ministry, what ministry? I'm glad you asked. To know what ministry Paul is talking about here in 2 Corinthians 4, one, we've got to jump back to 2 Corinthians 3, and you look at the whole chapter, and, and the ministry that Paul is talking about is the ministry of the gospel of Jesus. How we, as the church of Jesus, are God's plan to change the world. We as the church of Jesus are God's plan to save the world. Paul writes um, later to the church at Corinth. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us to the world. That's the ministry that Paul is talking about here. Therefore, since we have this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. We don't quit. We talked all last week about the Israelites and how they were up and down, cold and hot, and losing heart left and right. Verse 2, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Paul talks about a couple of things here in these few verses, but uh, the first thing that we point out in the challenges of our wilderness, we must remember, is our purpose. Paul, in these first six verses, is laying out, reminding himself, I believe, but also reminding the church at Corinth of his purpose. And how important is it for us in the wilderness to remind ourselves of the purpose? I remember a time um, when I was ready to give up. Let me tell you, I didn't grow up camping, okay? I didn't grow up camping, I didn't grow up sleeping in these little thin things that we call tents, where you hear everything, okay? You're laying there at night, you hear something like bustling around in the leaves and you're like, this is it, I'm going to meet Jesus right here. You know, so you don't sleep while you camp, right? And so it's just it's it's great. Um, but but I didn't grow up camping, right? So I'm, I'm not a pro. I'm not a pro camper, and that's one area that Kristen and I um, are are different. She she grew up camping. She loves camping, and 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 all of that. And so I've become I've become a camper. Okay, in the last <clears throat> few years, our kids enjoy camping, and 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 so I've become a camper. Um, but I still have some non-camping tendencies. Like, when I look at the weather app, and I see rain in the forecast, and it's the day before we're supposed to leave, I just say, you know what, we're shortening camping a, a day. Let's load up, and then let's beat the weather, and let's go home, because we're, we have a roof. Like, we pay monthly <laughs> to a mortgage company to have a roof. And we've experienced all that we need to experience here. Sorry, we don't need to experience this rain, right? Well, a couple years ago, we looked, and, and the last day that we were going to be Camping was going to be like this monsoon. And it was Sunday, and a lot of times when we camp this particular weekend, I come back for church and and preach and then go back out and join the family for camping. And so I fully expected that when I got back out to the campsite, it was going to be all packed up and we were going to be ready to just come right back home. Uh Uh-uh. I've never seen that many tarps. Like... Tied to trees and roped off and, and all of that. And, and we're sitting there at dinner time and it is pouring down rain. Like rivers have now formed in our campsite that weren't there 24 hours before. And we're sitting under an 8x8, eight eight, I shouldn't say sitting, I'm like this under an 8x8 eight eight <laughs> easy up grilling burgers. And it's pouring down rain. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> I think our tent is still drying out a year and a half later. But Kristen was not ready to quit. And in that moment, right, in that moment, you have to remind yourself, And because I thought many times as I was like this, grilling burgers, man, our dry house sounds amazing. Why are we doing this? What in the world are we doing? Every time we talk about camping around our dinner table, you know, what, you know what story my kids tell? Hey, Daddy, you remember when you were miserable and you were grilling those burgers and it was pouring down rain and Mommy had done the tarp like that and all that stuff and, and they, kept, they kept... Oh, man, this made me so blessed they they kept there was a sag in one of the tarps and so if you punched it water would go everywhere and so the kids would wait for me to just get right out and they'd punch that and water would just pour on me i was so blessed But in those moments, right, where we're like, is this worth it? I'm ready to quit. Can we please back up and go home? I don't want to be wet for the rest of my life. And uh, it's, it's in those moments that we remember, or, or we should remember, we need to remind ourselves, I stunk at it that night, of the purpose of why we're doing what we're doing. And Paul here, addressing the wilderness to the church at Corinth, is saying we've got to remember the purpose. We've got to remember the purpose of the wilderness. We've got to remember that everything happens on purpose and for a purpose. And so we have this ministry. And the, and the reality for us when we're walking through the wilderness is this. The way we look at our purpose determines how we will fulfill our purpose. The way we look at our purpose determines how we fulfill our purpose. Hindsight's always twenty twenty, 20 right? Because, because if I would have looked at that purpose a little differently and how when you're on camping trips it's about making memories and loving your family and investing right we would have put our bathing suits on and we would have gone whitewater rafting right in our campsite instead of me sitting there fuming i'm 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 human right who who's with me who would have been the i'm ready to go home right who would have been the, no, we're sticking this out and hanging the tarps. Okay, yep, okay, very good. Bless your hearts, all of you. I hope you meet Jesus this morning. Okay, but you, see, you know what I mean? Because how I look, how I look at that wilderness, how I look at my purpose in the wilderness determines, determines what I'm going to get out of that wilderness, right? Determines what I'm going to get out of that wilderness. And you know what I got out of that wilderness? A sermon illustration that looks, makes me look awesome. But the way we look at our purpose helps determine how we'll fulfill our purpose. If we look at serving Jesus, if we look at serving Jesus as a burden instead of a privilege, guess what? We're only going to do what's required of us and we're going to be miserable doing it. If you, look at, if you look at serving Jesus, which includes, guess what? Which includes serving your husband, serving your wife, serving your kids, serving your boss, serving your church, so you, you insert, right? If you look at that as a burden and not a blessing, you're going to be miserable doing it and you're only going to do what's required of you. And so when we're walking through life, especially, do you hear that? When we're walking through life, especially the wilderness in any of those situations... We've got to ask the purpose. We've got to remind ourselves of the purpose. Paul was so overwhelmed by the grace of God. We see it all throughout this passage. He was so overwhelmed by the grace of God that allowed him to serve a purpose. And because he was so overwhelmed by the grace of God, it kept him from doing a few things. It kept him from losing heart when things got hard. It kept him from quitting It kept Paul from being a quitter. The fact that he was reminded constantly of the purpose and the grace of God that allowed him to do what he was called to do. It kept him from being a quitter. It kept him from being a quitter. Number two, it kept him grounded. Look at verses two through four here. He says, he says, but we've renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but the open statement of truth. But by the open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves in everyone's conscience, to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And if our gospel is veiled, It is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. It kept Paul, God's grace kept Paul from being a deceiver. It kept him grounded. Paul had nothing to hide. Either in his personal life or in his preaching of the Word, everything was an open and honest conversation. There was no deception of the Word. Paul wasn't worried about Paul wasn't worried about the the number of followers that he had. Paul wasn't worried about whether or not people liked him. Paul was worried about the gospel of Jesus being proclaimed and God's purposes being fulfilled. I was um, listening to somebody... Uh, talked to a bunch of pastors one time and, and he said something I'll never forget. He, he said, if you don't have someone that leaves your church, he said, it's not going to happen for everybody every Sunday morning. He said, but if you don't have someone that leaves your church on a Sunday morning and say, Pastor, I just really hated that message, then you're not doing it right. Well, that's dumb. He said, because the people that don't like the message are the people that needed to hear it the most. Paul wasn't worried about tickling ears. Paul wasn't worried about being cunning. Paul wasn't worried about having the biggest church in the area or putting on the greatest events or, or, or this or that. Paul was consumed with whether or not the Gospel was being proclaimed and God was being glorified. And this grace of God, this purpose that he lived with, it kept him from quitting. It kept him grounded. And thirdly, it kept him from doing it for him. I love verse 5 there. It says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Paul makes, he, he, if you look at Philippians chapter 1 and 2, he, he talks about humility a lot, and here he's even saying, listen, I'm a servant, I'm not, I'm not, I'm nothing special, I'm not trying to proclaim me, we're not proclaiming ourselves, but we're proclaiming Jesus is Lord, and we're servants." Paul was not a self-promoter. He was a man who practiced genuine humility. He sought only to lead people to Jesus and to build them up in the faith. That was it. That was what consumed him. He wasn't. He wasn't trying to get the most. The most. The most followers. He was just trying to lift up Jesus. So we see our purpose, and we see the importance of keeping our purpose in front of us, God's purpose in front of us as we walk through the wilderness. And then look at verse 7. He transitions here and he says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. Now, how many of you thought back to the Christian band? I just want to know who's in our church. Jars of clay. Rain, rain on my face. It hasn't stopped raining for days. My word is a flood. Okay, praise God. Amen. All right, just had to go. If you don't know what that is, bless you. Christian band from way back when called Jars of Clay. Okay, right? Okay, so he says, but we have this treasure in Jars of Clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always I love that. So death isn't working in us, but life in you. What do we see here? That Paul not only kept the purpose in front of him, kept the purpose in his mind as he was walking through the wilderness, but his treasure. Paul kept his treasure. See, Paul says here, we're a jar of clay. And if you look at, if you look at jars of clay, they're, they're really nothing special. What makes a jar of clay special? What's inside of it, right? What's inside of it? Well, if you don't have clay inside of a jar of clay, it's just a jar, right? It's just a jar, and some of them are some of them are broken, some of them are dirty, some of them are you know cracked and and all of those things. But what makes the jar special? What makes the jar special is the treasure within it. The clay within it. And you know what strikes me as I, as I was reading this this week, as I was thinking about it this week? What strikes me as I think about us today is how much time we're spending on the jar. How much time we're spending trying to make the, the jar look clean and shiny and polished and we're not even thinking at all about what, whether or not we got the treasure inside. All we're thinking about, all we're consumed with is the jar and the outside, but it's the treasure within the vessel that gives the vessel its value. And so there's some lessons that we can learn from these jars of clay. And the first one is this is this: God has made us the way that we are so that we can do the work he wants us to do. God has made you the way you are so that you can so that you can do the work that He's created for you to do, that He wants you to do. God's made you the way that you, you are so that you can do the work you created to do. How many of you know we don't need another herb? Amen? He's up here laughing. He knows. He knows. He knows that Summit Church can only handle one herb. Right? How many of you know we don't need another Travis? Uh, wow, really? <laughs> don't break your arm as you're raising it back there, buddy. We have an opening for a sound guy. Um, <laughs> He just broke his arm raising it so fast. We don't need another you. We don't need another me. God's created us to accomplish the purpose that He is working within us. You know what that says to me? That we have to accept and value us. I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. If I'm not loving me the way that Christ loved me, then how is my love towards my neighbor? If I'm negative and destructive towards me and my thoughts towards me and the things that I speak over me, then how am I going to look at my neighbor? Love your neighbor as yourself. Right. And so 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 from this jar of clay, we can see that God's made us the way that we are so that we can do the work he wants us to do. God made us to be us. God made you to be you. Accept yourself and be yourself. I can remember starting out in ministry. I can remember starting out in ministry and, and even in the last few, few I, I remember the first time I met Russ. The first time I met Russ, and he had all these college students that were just swarming around Russ, and I was like, man, I'd love to be Russ. I'd love to be Russ. Russ is awesome. Russ is amazing. Russ knows everything. Sorry, Jen's on. (laughs) Was that on purpose, or was that by accident? (laughs) Everybody meet Russ's wife right here. (laughs) No, I can. I remember. Let's move on. I can remember starting out in ministry, thinking, "Man, I just want to be that person. I want to be this person." And it wasn't until just a few years ago that God really beat into me, "Hey, be Travis. I don't need you to be Russ. I don't need you to be this author that just did this. I don't need you to be. I don't need you to be Francis Chan. I don't need you to be this. I don't need you. I need you to be Travis." Man, that's so freeing. That's so freeing. It's so freeing. That was awesome. Thank you. The second lesson that we can learn from being jars of clay is this. It's important that the vessel be clean, empty, and available for service. It's important that the vessel, it's important that the jar be clean, empty, and available for service. See, we are jars, we are vessels so that God might use us. We are these jars of clay. Paul Paul refers to us, you know, we, we have this treasure in jars of clay because he wants us to be vessels that are used, that God might use us and see and see here's where here's where I think we today struggle with this the most is that we are these vessels right but instead of being clean and empty right we're clean in the wrong place right we're we're, we're false clean maybe and we're, and we're not empty we're not empty because because when we come to God and we're like okay God you know what I'm ready to be used but here's the way I'm ready to be used Here's here's the agenda that I want to fulfill, and so, God, I will allow you to use me as an empty vessel as long as you follow my parameters for using me. But that's not the way it works. That's not the way it works. The lesson that we see here from being jars of clay is that we're to be clean empty right empty hands God I don't know what you're going to do I don't know where you're going to take me I'm scared out of my mind but use me use me use me open hands available the third lesson we see here about this treasure right is that we must focus on the treasure and not the vessel. We've already talked about this a little bit. Don't spend so much time on the outside. Paul wasn't afraid of suffering or trial because he knew, he knew, get this, that God would guard the vessel as long as Paul was guarding the treasure. Paul knew that God would guard the vessel as long as Paul was guarding the treasure. Hear me, church, God permits trials. God controls trials, and God uses trials for His own glory. God is glorified through weak vessels. God is glorified through weak vessels. And and, and if you want to think about this a little bit, go back to Philippians chapter 1 where he says, don't feel sorry for me in my wilderness. As a result of this wilderness, as a result of his imprisonment in Philippians chapter 1, he tells the church at Philippi, God is being glorified and people are meeting Jesus that you would never be able to reach, church. And so he brings purpose On the treasure and not the vessel. And then lastly, the last lesson that we see here in the treasure is that God allows our vessels. Hear me, church. God allows our vessels to be jarred, to be bumped a little bit, so that some of the treasure might spill out and enrich others. God allows some things to get bumped. God allows some some vessels to get hit and jarred so that, Some of the treasure will spill out and enrich others. The wilderness reveals not only the weakness of man, but also the glory of God. Ministry that costs nothing, accomplishes nothing. Ministry that costs nothing, accomplishes nothing. So God's going to allow you to get bumped from time to time. God's going to allow you to get knocked down from time to time or get knocked over so that some of that treasure that's in you might get spilled out and bless others. And so we see that Paul kept his purpose in front of him, God's purpose really in front of him. He kept, he, he kept the treasure, right? He kept the treasure. And then we look at verse 13. Paul shifts gears again here. Verse 13 Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. Knowing that He who raised, I love that word knowing, knowing that He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into His presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Here it is again, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I don't know about you, I feel like Paul could have left out verse 17. He obviously doesn't know my wilderness. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for me an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul's talked about the purpose of the wilderness, Paul's talked about the treasure in the wilderness. What's important for those two? Our faith. In the wilderness. That our faith would be bigger than the beasts in the brush, slithering on the ground, circling overhead. He says, Our faith be bigger than the beasts in the wilderness. The phrase spirit of faith here in verse 13 literally means attitude of faith or outlook of faith. He's he's referring here to the attitude that we ought to possess in the wilderness and that be faith. Faith. Why was Paul so confident? Why could Paul be so confident in the wilderness? Because he had nothing to fear. He had nothing to fear from life to death. He had nothing to fear. I mean, look at what he claims here in this chapter. Twelve, twelve momentary afflictions that he brings up. He says, he says, we're afflicted in every way. We're perplexed. We're, we're, we're despaired. We're persecuted. We're forsaken. We're struck down. We're, you know, all of these things. He brings up twelve afflictions, but you know what he, he, you know what he combats them with? Twelve promises. Twelve promises. He says, I'm afflicted in every way, but I'm not crushed. I'm perplexed, but I'm not driven to despair. I'm persecuted, but I'm not forsaken. I'm struck down, but I'm not destroyed. You get the picture. He's claiming the promises of God in His wilderness. He's claiming the faith over the fear. Because He was assured. Of who God is. A couple of the assurances that he talks about. Look at verse 14. He says there in verse 14. He says, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. He was sure of the ultimate victory. He was assured of the ultimate victory. If Jesus conquered death, the last enemy, then why fear anything else? Why fear anything else? I was reading a a commentator who um, was was, um, talking on this passage this past week. And he, he comments, until a person is ready to die, they're not really prepared to live. Until a person is ready to die, they're not really prepared to live. Paul was sure of the ultimate victory. Paul was sure of the ultimate victory. Secondly look at verse 15 for it's all for your sake so that as grace extends to more and more people it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God paul was sure that god would be glorified paul was sure that god would be glorified see see so many times when we're in wilderness oh what was me oh poor me oh i'm just you know i'm just in a funk i'm just having a, you know and, and so many times we we you know are despaired But it's like Paul walks through wilderness and he's like, God's glorified. God's getting the glory. I'm walking through this, but but it's okay because he's already won the victory and he's going to get the glory from this. I don't know how. I I don't get it. This is really hard. This is really tough. I don't know if I can make it to tomorrow, but one thing I know he's going to get the glory. He's going to get the glory. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for me an eternal weight of glory because He is going to get the glory. And So what do you need in the wilderness? I love the way that Paul ends this. So we do not lose heart. The outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. And then he goes on, as we look to things that are seen not look to things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen or transient, but to the things that are unseen are eternal. You know, in the wilderness, we need an eternal perspective. And it's that eternal perspective that reminds us of the victory. It reminds us that God's going to get the glory. It reminds us of the purpose that we are to fulfill and the treasure that we have. And the treasure that we have. When we're in the wilderness... We need to claim the promises of God, knowing that the wilderness is on purpose, for His glory. I was, um, I was reading again verse in chapter three, because in, in chapter four he says, "Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God." He ends chapter three there, verses 17 and 18. "Now the Lord is the spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the image, into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You know what that showed me as I was looking at that and reading that and studying that this week? He showed me that if I'm like Paul, if I walk through the wilderness, if I walk through the wilderness and remind myself, you know what? God's in control, all of these things, all of these things, that there's freedom. That there can even be freedom in the wilderness. That there, there can even be freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. you know what I pictured? And I know this sounds silly. But but I pictured pictured the movie Braveheart. Pastor's talking about an R-rated movie in church. It's Braveheart. And I picture Mel Gibson on the battlefield. Right? You all know where I'm going with this. Right? I picture Mel Gibson on the battlefield. Front lines of the battle. Things don't look good for him and his army. But yet, as he starts to charge, what does he yell? Freedom! What does it look like for you in the wilderness that you may be in? I had somebody in between services come up to me and say my first wilderness was 10 years long. And God freed me from it. I, I'm I'm looking out at some of you who have testimonies from wildernesses and 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 God's using you and incredible ways from your wilderness season. But maybe you're sitting here this morning, you're walking through a wilderness. What does it look like for you to get some blue face paint? Just strap it on. Pick up the shield. Pick up the spear. And claim that you're free. And claim and and pray the prayer like this. Say, you know what, God? I don't know what you have in store for my marriage. I don't know what you have in store for my job. I don't know what you have in store for my... For my kids, I don't, I don't know what you have in store for this or that, and whatever the wilderness may be, I, I don't, I don't know what you have in store. But what I do know is that you're God, and you've already won the victory. You've already won the victory, and I have you in my corner, and I have you by my side. I have you in me, and so therefore I'm free because I have nothing to fear here. I have nothing to fear here. And all the lies that are creeping in and telling me I'm not enough or I'm not good enough or I'm not worthy enough or I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. I am because you are. And so what does it look like for you to flip your wilderness for the glory of God? And I believe that is the purpose of the challenges in our wilderness. I wasn't expecting this but a few months ago when I was doing the sermon planning and came up with the idea hey let's 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 spend the season leading up to Easter, talking about Lent, and let's let's do it by talking about Jesus in the wilderness and how He was in the wilderness for forty days, and we can pull out these lessons from the wilderness. Because I, I was I was doing great, and I was thinking about all of you who are in your wilderness, and just thinking, man, I'm feeling awesome. And then you know, the Sunday that that we 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 start doing this two weeks ago, um, I, I get here and I'm just like, you know what? I really don't want to be here, which was weird. And you know what I realized? About halfway through that week following, oh yeah, as you're going to preach through the wilderness, guess what I'm going to do, Travis? I'm going to bring you into the wilderness while you're preaching through the wilderness, jerk. <laughs> I didn't mean that. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, maybe, I'm, uh, okay, you know my heart. <laughs> yeah. And Tuesday morning, I I have this morning routine. I'm I'm not trying to brag about my morning routine. It's just the only way I can do the things. And and so I was leaving the gym Tuesday at 6 a.m., and I was getting in the car, and my music was blaring. Because at 4.45 in the morning, when you're driving to the gym, you need something, right? And so my music was blaring. And and so at 6 o'clock, I get in the car, and I hear a song I've never heard before. And this lyric just blared on my radio and it says this, I'm not enough unless you come. I was like, wow, I'm not enough unless you come. And so I pulled out my phone and and I have this app that you can tap a button and it listens to the music way smart. And um, and it tells me what song it is and tells me the lyrics. And I start listening to the song on my way home. And before you know it, I'm on like Fort Hill Road just bawling my eyes out listening to the song. I get here Tuesday morning for staff meeting. I play the song for our staff. And look at Dylan and I'm like, hey man, you think you can pull this song off for Sunday? Because I think it just describes exactly where we are. You're not enough in your wilderness unless the glory of God shows up. In your wilderness, you're not enough in your marriage unless he comes in your marriage. You're not enough at your job, no matter how good you are at your job, unless he comes. You're not a good enough parent unless he comes. You feel uplifted yet? You're not a good enough friend unless he comes. Unless he comes. And so as you sit and listen to this song this morning, whatever you're in, maybe you're in a season of of fruit. Maybe you're in a season of wilderness. Maybe you're in a season of searching, questioning. You may not even know. I'm not really sure where I am. Would you claim these promises? Would you claim these promises over your life today as you listen to this song? God, I pray that you forgive me for the times that I've just tried to fix, or I've tried to map myself out of the wilderness and looked at You and said, I can handle this one. God, I thank You that even in our loneliest moments, our darkest moments, you've not forsaken us—not for a moment. And so, God, I, I just—I pr- just pray over every situation in this room. God, I, I pray over every thing that we're walking through, or God, that we just claim your faithfulness. You claim your faithfulness and your presence in our wilderness. And I thank you that uh, you're there. And I thank you that you're with us. And I thank you that you're for us. God, may we may we look to you for your purpose. The treasure that you've placed inside of us. And the faith. To conquer every challenge. In Jesus name I pray. Amen. Will you stand and sing with us this morning?